Welcome to the third episode of Green Eggs in West Ham. We're excited to talk to you this week, and we'll start with the recap of Man City and Liverpool games, followed by an in-depth look at the centre-back position and ending with a look ahead to next week. Let's get right into it. Chris, what do you think of the Man City game? You know, I thought we started out pretty defensively. Moyes obviously set it up to, to go for a draw or at least just to try and stop stop bleeding goals, but I thought it was a pretty pathetic setup. We looked like we had no attacking outlets, and, and it was really depressing to see. So I have a question for you. I, I did not see Matsuaku play that great there. I personally didn't think his performance uh, showed that he deserved to play, and he proved that once again in the Man City game. What do you think he's adding that Anderson can't? Well, I think it all comes down to the formation. I think in the Man City game, obviously he was playing kind of in that that left wing back role in the back five. I don't know if Anderson has the work rate to play in that position. Um, so Massey Walker, I think, offers a little bit more in that terms of just trying on defense. I don't think he's a fantastic defender. I think even he would say he's not really a defender. He's more of a winger. But it, really, his attacking his attacking output hasn't been good this season. He's tried to dribble, but hasn't really ended up in anything. One thing I'm impressed with, Anderson, is his work rate. I see on social media a lot of times, you know, we'll have these days off or the team won't be practicing and Anderson's in the gym. And that's kind of made an impression on me. Uh, it seems like he's – really uh, striving and, and showing me a lot more potential and um, a lot more heart than I'm seeing from some of the other players. I see. I, I agree in some senses, but I disagree in others. He is when he wants to try, he can make an impact on both the defensive and, and attacking side of the game. I think we see there are, there are 10 minute stretches, 20 minute stretches during games where he's tracking back if he loses the ball, he's chasing it down afterwards. And he really makes a difference there. And it creates a lot more opportunities for him on the offensive side too. But then I also think there's a lot of times where he just – he takes long stretches of games off. So, yeah, he, he puts the Instagram videos of him working out. And I think he does try hard. I do, I do think he puts work into the game. But I don't know if it's – the consistent effort isn't there. All right. Uh, we'll move on to 78% possession by Man City. Our defending was acceptable the first half. It wasn't great. I really think they should have scored three in the first half. We got away with a lot. Uh, but also, you know, the second half of the game, we collapsed. Yeah, I mean, we didn't give up any goals the first half, but we, we, we really should have. Gabriel Jesus had a few good chances that he really just muffed. It, we gave up a lot of possession. Some of it wasn't great possession, so I'm fine with that if we're setting up to defend like that. But a lot, we still gave up too many opportunities, especially in the second half, and eventually they started going in. So uh, another thing I want to talk about is why do we view going into the games, Man City and Liverpool, both of us predicted losses, and not just 1-0 losses, but significant losses. Why is that? Is it the money that they have behind the club? Is it the quality of players? Maybe they have just better uh, people in all positions. Is it the manager that's making a difference? Is it a combination of all of them? I think it's really a combination of all of them. I, Man City obviously has spent an extraordinary amount of money the last few years, and I think that is a big difference for them. They, they just got in trouble for it, too, at the Champions League. Yeah, they, they were caught overstating their, their sponsorship revenue, which led to them getting that two – two-year Champions League ban, which will hurt them in the future. But uh, so for Man City, I think a lot of it's money. I, I do think they do a good job recruiting. And I think Pep's a very, very good manager. Uh, for Liverpool, it's the same. They, they, they buy the right type of players, and Klopp has just completely transformed the culture of that team. But one thing I, I, I don't want to discount is the structure that both of those clubs have in place. Man United doesn't really spend any less money than Man City or Liverpool. Chelsea, for the most part, doesn't spend any less money. Even Arsenal spends close to them. But they don't have the same results both in the, in domestic, in the domestic league and in the European leagues. They just they don't have the same results as the Man City or Liverpool. And I think that comes down to how well from top to bottom the club is run. And I think that's one of the reasons West Ham's in so much trouble right now. We have more money than all the clubs were around in the table 
but our club is just not run well. We don't have a great scouting department. We haven't had consistency in the manager room. It's so, just here's what's interesting. Um, I, I agree in that sense that it is a little bit of a combination of both. Uh, however, if you look at how we went into the Man City game compared to how we went into the Liverpool game, uh, you know, looking backwards and knowing the results and how hard we played in the Liverpool game, I believe Moyes now can go into each game and say, look, we stood up to Liverpool and without, you know, there were some defensive mistakes, but without those, I mean, we were really in the running to, to hand them their first defeat or at least their second tie. So I, I think we've got the mentality right now of, or we used to have the mentality of, well, they're just going to kill us and we got to keep the goal differential down. But uh, going to that Liverpool game, I saw a much different team and I, you know, you go into that and you say, Hey, we can beat this team. And the team's man uh, and uh, West Ham is going to play with a lot more heart. Yeah. I think it sounds so weird to say it, but I think we needed that man city loss. We went in with a pathetic setup with a terrible game plan and really just were trying to limit goal differential. And the, I think the, the result showed in the fan reaction afterward really kicked Moyes into gear of how we actually need to approach these games. And I think it manifested itself in the Liverpool game. We saw ourselves trying to actually attack. We would, we would send players, you know, Antonio was still a little isolated at first, but we would send players in the attacking. We created a few chances and it resulted in goals. We didn't put our heads down. We, we fought for that game and, you know, we didn't get any points out of it, but I think it was definitely a massive improvement. And I think if we take that mentality forward, we should start getting a lot of results. Another thing I like to mention is uh, Zabaleta got a standing ovation from Man City. And there's been some discussion about whether West Ham should do that or uh, whether we do do that. And, you know, we've gotten mixed reviews kind of from, uh, from the stadium, either announcing returning players or things. I honestly was very impressed by the reception that they gave Zabaleta for him uh, playing before. And yeah, over to you, Chris. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with what Zabaleta did for Manchester City. He was a great servant for that club, was with them through great times, really contributed a lot to them. And he did not upset people when he left. He left because he really just wasn't good enough and they had to move on. And just he's, he's the ultimate professional. But I think that... It was a respectful split. Yeah, it was definitely a respectful split, and I think I think that's why you see such the such of a warm reaction. I think a lot of the West Ham players that come back to to the London Stadium now, a lot of the that we see from the Premier League, a lot of those splits were, weren't very amicable. Uh, I can, I think uh, one example was James Tompkins that went to Crystal Palace. Really, there was not a great split at the end, and then even another Crystal Palace player, Chet Kuyate who we sold a few years back to him, who was really great for West. Both of them were really great for West Ham when they were here, but towards the end of their tenure at the club, it really just didn't work out. They, they weren't on the same level of, as the, what the fans wanted them to do. And um, so you see when they come back, it's not that great. Now we have a few players that have left the club on worse terms, like Payet to Marseille, and Arnautovic to whatever random Chinese club he went to. Um, and luckily we don't play either of those clubs because if they came back, they would not get the welcome that Zabaleta got. So that's an interesting point. You know, Zabaleta, like you said, well-respected at the at, uh, Man City, did well for them. And then it was just a, a little bit of a break in terms of what, what they needed compared to what he was providing. But you know, that perhaps that's something to consider is, you know, did the player leave on good terms? Because the club, it's it's just business sometimes. And, you know, uh, you've got some players, like you said, talking about Payet, who uh, didn't exactly leave on great terms. And I would not say that's entirely the club's fault. He did not do himself any favors, uh, especially towards the end. So that that's a good point. Well, and I think we can even see it in, in the, the appointment of James, no or, sorry, Kevin Nolan. He coming back as a coach, the fans really appreciated that hire, really seemed to to respond to that. And it, he 
he left and played, I believe, Lake Norian, I believe. He played a little bit of, of a player-manager role his last couple of years in the career, in, of his career. But when he left West Ham, it was having given everything he could to the club. And so when he we, he basically left the door to come back because of the way he left. And I think West Ham fans do appreciate that. I think it's just uh, we don't see it with current players because not a lot of current players that are active had that type of split with West Ham. Uh, let's talk about Moyes' substitutions. You know, in the 60th minute of um, the Man City game, you had Fredericks uh, get subbed off for Zabaleta. And besides that sub specifically, because that had to do with a little bit of injury, um, he waited until, was it the 80th minute for Bowen to come on? And the fans were just screaming for Bowen. We, we made an attacking, you know, sub 10 minutes with 10 minutes left in the game. We were already down 2-0. And we started with the defensive team. When you're down 2-0 fighting relegation, switch it up a little earlier. Give Bowen a chance. Yeah, I definitely think as soon as we went down 1-0, we should have made an attacking sub. I think that game was fully fully attributable to Moyes' tactical setup and his lack of changing the tactics lack of inspiring the team he's he gave the team no confidence in the way he had that game plan in and gave them no boost in the game I thought it was pretty bad I think you have this new player in Bowen who offers an attacking spark you got to put him on earlier you got to give him 20 30 even at halftime make a switch we were getting our ourselves roasted in the first half, even though we didn't let any goals, we were still getting completely outplayed. You need to make a change at that point. And it, he made some changes in Liverpool, and we can talk about that later, but I think those are pretty dreadful. What did you think of them? Well, I tell you what, roasted is is a great word to describe how our performances were in the first and second half. The, the first half, we did hold on a little bit better. However, like we talked about, there were a few chances that really should have gone in and uh, either should have been caught against us and you know results in direct uh, direct kicks or something. But regardless, we kind of got away with a few. And then in the second half, obviously it collapsed on us. I agree with the attacking sub. As soon as you're either you know one nil down, especially as soon as that second goal goes in, you've got nothing to lose. Especially you're fighting relegation. You know, it's not just a goal differential battle. It's uh, at that point, it's you're trying to win the game and yeah. uh, but if you look at Liverpool we went into that well, for, game before before we go in I let I do want to take a couple positives away from the Man City game and just highlight a couple players that I thought did well I thought Antonio worked his socks off he I love how he gives effort every single time he's on the pitch I think especially in a season which we tend to have players taking shifts off not being focused. He is definitely a fresh breath of fresh air, even though sometimes his end product isn't great. He tries really hard. I also think that Rice and Suchek in the middle did a pretty good job. Rice gave away possession a little bit, but I thought his defensive positioning was better than just about any other player we had. And I thought Suchek's work rate was great. I think he, a stat came out after the game that he ran almost eight miles which is more than any West Ham player had run in I think three or so years so that was definitely a breath of fresh air except he was you know obviously the unfortunate injury situation in the Liverpool game what did you think of some of the players that maybe did a good job in the Man City game yeah Suchek would be one Suchek and Rice honestly were, uh, were two that I saw really stood out Antonio I think did a fantastic job um he really was good in terms of, like you said, workhorse, but he was just too isolated. I don't think you can blame his performance on on the fact that it, you know, it was lack of trying. No, it, it was just he didn't have the service. He didn't have anybody up there to support him. It literally was: we try to counterattack, we'll try to kick the ball to you, and you outrun, you know, all these defenders, get around the last remaining few, and then go score. Yeah, and that's not his strength. I mean, he's. He has the pace and the strength, but he doesn't have the skill to just take on four different defenders. He can't, especially against as, t- as talented a player as we really left him out to dry, and it wasn't good. Right, and so if you look at Suchek too, Suchek had a 
incredible impact, not only in the Man City game, but also in the Liverpool game. And it is, inc- I think it's very unfortunate that it took Suchek's injury to bring on Fornals. Uh, I think we're going to, you know, they mentioned today it was uh, just a, a soft injury um, to Suchek. So he'll be out for a few weeks, but we'll get him back towards the end of the season. Um, I think, you know, Mazawaku should give way to Anderson. I thought Anderson played a lot better in the Liverpool game. And I think for now, especially with that goal, I mean, that's got to scream to Moyes, hopefully put him yeah. on. He you deserves I, playing time. You and I have been talking about for nows for a while, not, not just on the podcast, but, but, in, but by ourselves, it's just, he offers something that we don't really have a lot now. And that's some creativity in the midfield. I mean, Rice is a great defender, but he, his strengths aren't going forward. Mark Noble just doesn't seem up to snuff right now. And then yeah, he's, he's just not cutting it for me. Yeah. He's just not cutting it for me either. He, we can get, we can get a little more into what he actually contributes at this point, but like for now, it's just offers something in the attacking side that we haven't had. Even Lanzini and Anderson have been very inconsistent where I feel like, yeah, for isn't, you know, a great holding midfielder that's going to break up the play and get the ball. But I think he does decent enough, and I think he works hard enough to where he's he's serviceable in the midfield defensively, but he offers so much more in attack. So I'm glad he finally got his opportunity. Unfortunately, Suchik got hurt, but I was really impressed with how involved in the attack he is. If you know, At Prague, when he was playing in the Czech Republic, he uh, was more a defensive midfielder and kind of uh, playing that defensive role. I think he's done well on defense when we've needed to um, get back and you know defend uh, defend either counterattacks or some corners and stuff but I've really seen his presence made known in in the offense yeah I mean he really does a great job of filling the role that we needed that's a true box-to-box midfielder someone that can support rice when we're on defense but who can also support the attack when we try and try and get forward and I think that's great another player I want to talk about is Ngake I thought he played fantastic. I think Zabaleta didn't have the speed uh, to play in his position. I think Ngake really got up and, you know, played the, that role that Fredericks, he, he really filled the gap. I, you know, I didn't see as many mistakes as his first game. Um, and with Fredericks being out for a few weeks, we're going to need someone like that. And I, I, I thought he did pretty well. Yeah, he definitely surprised me. And he did not look overwhelmed by the moment. So many times you put a new player on, just, just a normal Premier League start. And they get overwhelmed. This per, this kid has made two starts for West Ham, both against a historically gr- great Liverpool side. That's about that's only a couple games away from wrapping up the league this right. early. And it's February, and they're almost. Right. It's league. incredible. It's but incredible. this kid keeps kept his cool under fire, and he's not. I mean, he's. You can say I'm not super familiar. I know he's played some right back, but I also know he plays a lot of right wing. So this isn't even necessarily his best position. And he's done fantastic. I thought his pace, his pace Mm -hmm. brings so much. Same thing, like when Fredericks is healthy, his pace brings a lot. I thought Ngaki's positioning was pretty good. I thought one improvement this game that I I didn't see last game, but I saw in this Liverpool game is – he was much more composed going forward, both just making overlapping runs and sending the ball in on crosses. Yeah, one word I'd use to describe it is control. I, before, my biggest complaint with him was that he would send the ball and it would either go to a defender or it'd have no real direction. But this time, I really didn't. I, I mean, I can count on the, my hand the number of times that I saw that uh, you know lack of control again and yeah, I tell you what, a player that's making improvement that big between games, and that was his first game against you know Liverpool, and now he played his second, and there was a massive difference. I'm I'm really impressed. Yeah, I think that's I think it was obvious from these two performances that he should no doubt start over Zabaleta. I know it's crazy to say Zabaleta's had this great career, very established Champions League quality player when he was at his prime. And Ngaki is, what, a 19-year-old kid that's made two starts? But I think we know what Zabaleta brings. And sadly, at this stage in his career, it's not enough for an every-week starter. I think you got to give it to Ngaki and let him run. And let's bring in a few more defenders to this discussion. Uh, Ogbonna and Diop, you know, it was mentioned from the commentators that Ogbonna played a lights-out game. He was 
you know, there on everything. And he made a lot of mistakes in the Man City. So did the a lot of defensive mistakes in the Man City game. But this this game, I saw a lot of improvement there. Uh, obviously, they've been extremely involved when we have corners and uh, the attack. We'll get to uh, why that's so important to have central defenders up there, but uh, a little later. But I think the biggest difference between the Man City game and this game was. And I thought Balbuena. I'm sorry, not Balbuena. I thought Ogbonna and Diop played fantastic. I might even give Ogbonna the man of the match for the Liverpool game. But I thought the biggest difference between this and the Man City game for them was their decisiveness. They did not play around. They knew I got to go out. I got to get the ball off of this player, and I got to get it out of out of our dangerous area. Yeah, when you've got Salah running around, I mean, he's considered one of the best players in the world, and I think he. You know, I counted one mistake that he made this past game. Uh, and he did look a little bit more off than he did that first game, but still one, re- I would say, really bad mistake. And, I mean, when you've got players that are coming at you like that, you've got Chamberlain who is summed in coming at you. These are world-class attacks. and not It's not just one player. It's a, you know, congregation of, of the midfield and the attack, and they constantly switch it up. You really do have to play lights out. And I was – it wasn't just against a team that's being relegated. It's against the top team in the Premier League right now. Yeah, and I, I really thought they did a good job. I know we gave up three goals, but we've we've played our pants off against Liverpool, and a lot of that had to do with those two center backs doing a fairly decent job against one of the most potent attacks in the league. Look, the, the boys can be uh, pretty – pretty happy with their performance i think the fans uh responded accordingly too and i uh, i did you see fabianski was saying at the end you know look it was my fault we lost i made a lot of mistakes but he, i thought he got crucified for he played a great game yeah i, he I thought up. yeah i thought until that mistake where the ball went through his legs he really had played a good game i thought he made some some really great saves and you know i was glad to see him come out and own up and to it, it. yep that showed a lot of character and I, I think that just like endeared him a little more to me. And I, I hope West Ham fans mm-hmm. don't criticize him too much. I wouldn't, but I think, I think he can recover from this and move on. One player I, we, we didn't actually get to finish talking about was Noble. I thought Noble might've been our worst player this last game. And he might've <laughs> been one of the worst in the city game too. Yeah. I was going to say, let me add to that. Not just, this game but it's the past few games he's slow he doesn't add he's not adding much look he is a great West Ham legend he you know is the captain bringing on a lot of leadership to the field and stuff but at what point do you say look thank you but we've got to have someone else in there and fill that role yeah I think his on pitch performances just don't merit a starting spot. I still would, I still think he's a great leadership presence. I want him involved in the match day squad, even if it's on the bench. I think him being around the team is a boost to the team. But I don't think he should play against teams, against most teams, really, against any team that has pace. He really is involved in only the attack or only the defense. It's not both. Whereas you look at Suchek, you look at Ngake. I mean, they're involved in the attack, and then they run back, and they're part of the defense too. And Noble is not. Yeah, he just – I mean, he he makes those runs forward occasionally, but it takes him too long to get back. And he he works. He does, he does. work. He does. The problem is his, his pace, the speed at which he can close down play, players – the speed at which he can break with the ball. It's, it's just not up to Premier League standards at this point. And it really – he's never been the fastest player, but he's always been quick enough to get his pass off or quick enough to get a foot and take the ball from someone. At this point, he's not. And I hate to say it, but – and even he said earlier this season, like, he's at the age – where the club just can't rely on him for everything. And I understand that doesn't take away from the character that he is. It doesn't take away from what he's contributed to this football club. I hope when he retires, he immediately gets put in a position with West Ham, whether that's in the back room, if that's in the coaching staff, something. And I hope eventually maybe he can even become a manager one day. But honestly, I would have him on the bench at this point. I think he's still a decent sub when you're trying to finish out a game but not a full 90-minute guy. I've got the utmost respect for him, like you were saying. He's very well-respected in uh, the 
the West Ham community, but I don't think he's cutting it anymore. And, you know, maybe have him on the bench, maybe maybe bring him in for a sub if you're really struggling, but I, I just think we have too many other options now. Maybe I, I would like to see Lanzini play there now over Noble because at least I know Lanzini, you know, at times he doesn't work, but it's just another option compared to what we're, we've got now. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think we, I think it's not doing him a, a good service to have him play every game when you know right. he really shouldn't be in there all 90 minutes every single game. Uh, so one last thing before we wrap up, um, for the offense that I saw against Liverpool, I, it, it was completely different from Man City. We brought the attack, we pressed the attack, and that really caught them off guard. If you, you know, they they played a much different game than they did against us that first time. I think they um, came out expecting us to park the bus just like we did against them the first game, and just like we did against Man City. And we came out and we bloodied their nose a little bit. And uh, for a while there, and we even had a chance to win that game. We did make a few mistakes, but that right there is how we need to go into every single game. You play Southampton like that, or you play some of these other teams, you know, Aston Villa or some of these other teams that are kind of battling relegation or at least below below mid table, you're going to crush them. Yeah, I agree. I think even though the possession stats and the shots on target weren't comparable to Liverpool, they never were supposed to be, but it was a different feel than Man City and definitely a different different tenor from our team a different effort level and it really we sent players out on the attack we didn't just hoof the ball up to our lone isolated striker and I thought it really made a difference and we got we ended up with not a ton of opportunities but enough opportunities to put two goals on team that's one that's the best defense in the league and it wasn't quite enough but against 17 or so teams in the Premier League it will be enough I completely agree. I really like the formation we came out with. I do the exact, not the exact same players, but I do the exact same formation uh, going into the next game and pretty much uh, for until <laughs> we end. Um, and, you know, looking at the attacking players, I thought Anderson played a decent amount there and, uh, and also Bowen even coming at the end and having a few opportunities uh, while it was late in the game. So I was, I've been impressed with how he's um, you know working and how he's doing right now and, We've got uh, Antonio up there that's doing well. Hilaire's been on the bench. Uh, Chris, any any word on that? Yeah, I mean, I think he gets a little more stick than he should from West Ham fans. Now, I don't think he necessarily has shown a lot to West Ham fans. He's shown some, um, but I've, I've mentioned before that West Ham – or sorry, I, I followed Eintracht Frankfurt – in, in years past and saw him play the last few years there. And he is a fantastic player. We have not played to his strength so far. I thought he did. Okay. He did. He did his job when he was subbed on hold up play, try and get other players involved. Didn't really get any great goal opportunities, but hopefully he gets back into the starting lineup. But we, there is more competition now. Antonio is playing, Antonio's fighting for his spot. Bowen Helfer's a new attacking talent. There are other options. So if he doesn't play, he's a great option on the bench, but I hope he does eventually push his way back into the starting lineup because I think he will be, if he gets rolling, our best or second best player in the attacking option. Oh, great discussion on the Man City and Liverpool game. That does conclude our first section. Stay with us and we'll be back in a little bit to talk about central defenders. Welcome back. This section, we're going to talk about the center back option of the club, what we want to see from our center backs, and kind of what we need to target in the future. So first, let's start off with uh, how formations affect the defense and central defenders in uh, particular. So you saw a change from Man City and Liverpool and the way we played. Uh, we also see it between different teams and whether you have three or uh, four people kind of crowding the box or even just two, uh, two people. You, you tend not to see one central defender. It's usually at least two. Um, height is one thing that really matters with central defense. You've got to be able to defend against corners, and that's kind of their staple is uh, you, you, some wingers. You can be pretty short. Crystal's a little bit shorter. Frederick's, he's, he's okay, decent size, but still, you know, a little bit shorter compared to uh, you've got Albana and Diop and, uh, and Balbuena even. They're, they're all really tall. You do, it's very rare, but you do see some shorter, defense, shorter central defenders. Uh, but if you look at the skill they have, their skill is – 
far surpasses what most people um, would consider a good central defender. And that's the only way really that you can be a short central defender. So you're going to see, I'd say 90% of central defenders being tall, obviously being well-skilled. Yeah, I think definitely, especially in, in the premier league, you face a lot of tall, strong players in the attacking position, even wingers these days often at or above six feet. So it's really important for the center backs to at least hit that six foot six one mark. And most of our first team players do. I think you mentioned it. We have very tall center backs. Ogbonna is about six foot three. Diop six foot four. Balbuena six foot two. So we have the good prototypical size in the center back currently in our team. And I think it's huge. And uh, just for our English fans, Agvana, that translates to about 1.91 meters. Diop's about 1.94, and Balbane is 1.88 meters. Um, other important things to, that uh, you have to really make a quick decision on as a central defender is, is it smart to clear the ball and maintain possession? And that was one thing that Agbana and Diop did a really good job at in the Liverpool game. They were lights out, like the commentators were saying that we mentioned earlier. And that comes down to, look, I've got no one. I've, this is a really dangerous ball. I've got to get the ball out. Um, and, but you have to maintain possession. And if you just kick it out every single time, you're not going to be a good central defender. Yeah, I mean, there's the, you know, the old, you, you, they can't score from out of bounds. That's one thing. They can't score if the ball's out of bounds. So I think, especially when you're playing a team that can press well, a team that's very skilled, like a Liverpool, Liverpool's known for their pressing. I thought it was it was great for Balbuena. Oh, I keep saying Balbuena, Agbana and Diop to not take chances against a team like that and just kick the ball long, kick the ball out. I think in Man City, we with our defenders maybe tried to do a little too much and it, it cost them. They coughed up the ball a few many times. Yeah, let's talk about that point a little bit. So when you're playing teams like Liverpool and Man City where they do have you know these, these great attacks and uh, they have a bunch of weapons up front, maybe you do need to kick it out a little bit more. But when you're playing, say, a game like Southampton, like we're going into, I, I believe you're going to see a lot more possession from these central defenders because they know they have a little bit more time. They're not being as pressed as hard as Liverpool is going to press you. And uh, that's going to be really important to get counterattacks going and other attacks going and Liverpool and Man City specifically, but Liverpool as well. Uh, you know, we're kicking it up for a counterattack and, and at times that was our only hope, whereas uh, maintaining possession is the better option. So you can really get something going. Yeah, ideally you would like to retain possession and even maybe make a great p pass that puts someone out on the break. And I, I, a lot of it is a function of the skill of your center backs and also the skill and speed of the opponent. Against Liverpool and Man City, they're very skilled and very fast attacks that can close your center backs down quickly. But maybe a Southampton and a, you know, a Burnley, these, these guys aren't as potent at doing that in their game so you might have more time to gather yourself make a good pass and keep possession so chris question for you do you think we have good defensive players or do you think we need in terms of central defenders or do you think we need others and would you also split it up between teams that we like liverpool and or teams like southampton in terms of who we need who we play yeah, so let's take a quick look at who we have and what they offer. So Ogbana, very talented player, very a veteran player, played a lot in Italy, played for teams like Juventus. He, he has a great pedigree, and he's done very well here. I think throughout his time at the club, he's really very rarely dropped out of the top two in our center backs. A little bit last year when you saw Diop and Balbuena playing together, he was on the bench. But for the most part, whether it was him and Reed back in the day or, you know, him and Diop over the last couple of years, he's been in the starting lineup. And I think what he offers is experience, a decent amount of skill. And I think when he is lasered in focus, he's probably our best center back. He, the way he cleared the ball, got – took the ball off the skilled Liverpool players and either released it to one of our fullbacks or midfielders or just got it out of the danger area. I thought that really showed what he is capable of, but he's still about 31. So he's, I don't know how many years he has left. Something I would like to see more from our central defenders. Uh, a lot of times in other captains, uh, 
are come from the central defenders. You see that in international teams a lot. You see that um, the goalkeeper a lot of times is the captain, but also the central defenders. And if you look at uh, say a staple like John Terry and you know playing for Chelsea all those years, played for the England national team, uh, he was a leader back there. And I, sometimes I feel like our uh, our central defenders right now are not quite there yet. Maybe Diop's developing a little bit into it, but. Yeah, I think even if your center back, I think a center back could be a great captain, but even if your center back's not a captain, you need one of your center backs to command the defense. You need one lead dog that tells the other defenders, whether it's a three back, four back, five back, to get in position. And who is that for us, would you say? I think right now that's Ogbonna if he's playing and Balbuena if Ogbonna's on the bench. But I think Diop has the potential to turn into that. I definitely think Diop's developing more into a uh, – he's got a little bit more development to go, I should say. And I Yeah, think he just Og- turned 23 about a month ago, he did. so he's still young. He did, and Ogbonna I really see is the central defender that we need on the field. I would like to see a little bit more of Balbuena, but right now, as we saw against Liverpool, the system's working. So uh, I – but I think in, if with our current system, Agbana is, is the one that needs to step up and be that, uh, be that one that directs that, you know, kind of holds that leadership position even without the captain's badge in the defense. Yeah, I think he definitely needs to organize it. I think he needs to, you know, step up and lead by example. And I think he, he has that ability. But one thing more I want to touch on, on Diop. When he was playing in uh, French League One at Toulouse, at I believe he was made captain of that team at the age of 20 or 21. And that show like, obviously there's a change. He hasn't quite established himself at that position here in England. And I, I'll give a couple reasons why I think that is, but he has the inherent leadership qualities that could turn into may obviously maybe not as good as John Terry as a career, but that type of commanding player. That, that actually provides a lot of potential then uh, i i didn't know that and that's really interesting and i'd be interested to hear your your facts on why you think uh, your reasoning behind that well i so one of the one of the reasons i think he maybe hasn't established himself quite that much here in that leadership capacity is the language barrier uh, it's imagine if you did your same job but had to move to a country where where hardly anyone spoke your language and where 80% of your teammates didn't speak your language and you had to rely on translations and your small understanding of the language you're in to, to do your job to its fullest ability. And not only to just, not only just to be a football player, but to be a leader, how hard does it have to be to lead in a different language? That's tough. And it's in the heat of the moment too. So it's not just communicating, you know, buying a sandwich or something. You're under stress. You're under pressure from especially Liverpool and some of these best players in the world. And you are trying to uh, get through that language barrier and come up with the words. That's tough. You're right. Yeah. I mean, in addition to the physical changes that the Premier League offers, it just, yeah, the cultural changes are hard too. And I think that's why we see it takes time for players to develop. And I, I think, I think Diop will get there. Obviously, I've I don't know if you've seen some of the we've this West Ham social media sometimes does a really bad job. But one thing I've that I thought was really cool is seeing him, Masuaku, and Hilaire and their relationship. All three being natural French speakers, they seem to have a nice connection. And I think it having you obviously don't want clubs to form in the locker room, but having kind of that group of players that that you feel comfortable around is a is a big step towards integrating to the team and so hopefully in the future we can see Diop I think physically he offers a lot of the uh, attributes we wanted a defender sometimes he doesn't keep his focus I think that was evident when he tried the weird back pass (laughs) header to Fabianski a few games ago that resulted in the goal goal but I think he will be one for the future and I think he deserves that second starting spot as of now so you mentioned the second starting spot and uh, let's compare the Man City and Liverpool game uh, I 
looking at Crespo, Crespo played great in both games. I think he definitely deserves a starting spot, whether that's winger or central defender. I thought he was a good central defender. He's a little bit shorter, but mm-hmm. he's look, he's earning a spot right now. And um, I personally do like the four back. I, initially, I didn't, to be honest, but seeing how it worked with our team, I, I think it was good. And, uh, you know, that swings out uh, Crespo a little bit to the wing. You've got Ngake on the other wing, but specifically focusing on central defenders. Does Balbuena deserve a spot, or do you think that we should keep Agbana and Diop? Well, I think in a four-back, it's Agbana and Diop. I don't think that's a debate. In a three-back, or, you know, the, the five-back, let's say, if you include the wing-backs, we obviously talked about how Masuaku wasn't cutting it at that left fullback spot. So moving, maybe moving Cresswell out there, even though he did well in the three-back, and putting Balbuena in there could be an option. But I got, I got to take that I think it, I'd seen it before, but the Man City game really drilled it into my mind. Usually a five-back's a lot better at stopping goals, but for the position we're in now and the mentality of our players, I don't think that's the case because I thought it was very evident in, when we set up in that five-back against Man City, our back line was too crowded and no one really knew, should I go mark this person? Should I let someone else? And it was kind of, it, it created inactivity in our back line. There was undecisiveness. Yeah, it got convoluted. And I, I think that's a great, uh, great way to sum it up because you, you, we had way too many players back and the team knew that and they knew that we were just going to go stand in front of the goal instead of actually having their minds that we're going to go win. And once you go start winning, the defense kind of figures itself out because more people are willing to get back and go help those central defenders. And that's, I think, where you need the leadership from the central defenders. Yeah, and I think in the four back, it just kind of simplifies the defense. You know that you have your either person to mark or your zone to mark. And you, we saw the decisiveness that Agbana and Diop had in this Liverpool game where their, their role was much more simple compared to the Man City game when you're lining up five at the back and then four midfielders right in front. You just get so tight. You don't even know you, – you don't move because you don't know where to go. And it just lets, it lets players slip in behind. So I think for that reason, the, we should be playing the four back right now. And I think – I'd start, although I think Balbuena has good qualities, I think I'd start Diop on Agbana. One thing I want to quickly talk about, a couple other players uh, that we have, maybe that's not really in the first team fold right now. Um, I think Cardoso from, we bought him this summer from Portugal. I believe it was a, uh, it was from Boa Vista, which he played 15 games for last year. He's about 19 years old right now. I think he is one for the future. He's played some for the, for the second team. I think maybe not next season, but shortly he could be an answer to maybe the aging on Bana or uh, Balbuena. And then also Winston Reed, who recently went on loan with, I believe, an option to buy in Kansas, sporting Kansas City. He was great for us a few years back. He's really had injury problems in the past few years hasn't played, I think in almost two full years for us. I don't think he's going to come back. So we don't, we won't cover him too much, but I do want to say, I thought Winston Reed was a great servant to the club. Sad that the injuries kind of derailed this part of his career, but man, he's, he did provide West Ham fans some great memories. So Chris, what do you think about, um, do you think we need to buy more center backs in the summer window? So you talked about an aging Ogbonna and Right now, I I, I feel now, like let me have... be clear. I don't think he's too old to play. I just when I say for him, I think it's different than Noble, where Noble's to the point where the age is truly affecting him. I think Ogbana's just at the age where that, that's on the horizon. So it maybe hasn't happened yet, but it will happen shortly. Sure, and with Balbuena being an extra little backup just in case, you know, Diop or Arbana gets hurt, he's Balbuena is a great, I think, central defender, and um, I would have no problem putting him in even if we put him in the starting lineup. I, I do think there's, uh, you know, right now, like we talked about, Diop and Arbana are the better options for the moment, but 
if I saw Balbuena make his appearance there, I, I wouldn't be upset at all. So right now, I kind of feel like we have that position covered, even if something happens to two of them or we need you know, an extra central defender. Cresswell has proven that he can go fill that. Now, we do lose a little bit of height, but when you've got Suchek coming in, he's going up for headers. He, If we really need him to, he can get back and, and usually he does go defend corners. Uh, so I think we've got height and Hilaire for sure. So we've got height in other parts of the team, especially for the attack. So I wouldn't mind moving Cresswell back as a permanent central defender, maybe even putting someone else out on that wing if we have injury. So my whole point with that is I really don't think we need to be uh, on the market for central defenders. I think we've got it covered for the moment and we've got other problems. Yeah, I think I think of all our needs, center back is kind of moderate at this point. I don't think there's a need for... a a desperate need for a first team, you know, starting center back. But I think, I think in the future, maybe we look for, for a replacement if Cardoso doesn't seem to pan out and, and Ogbonna gets a little older, but I think for the moment we're pretty well covered. And uh, that concludes our coverage of, of center backs. Next up, we're going to have our preview for the Southampton, Southampton game. Welcome back to the final section of Green Eggs and West Ham, episode three, where we look ahead to next week. We've got Southampton coming up, and it's uh, actually started as a church football team in 1885, which is uh, pretty funny because sometimes I'll play, you know, even some church yeah. footballs. Um, is it, is and, that why their nickname's the Saints, or? Yeah, that literally is why. And um, <laughs> their, their biggest rival is Portsmouth. It's due to maritime rivalries, and, you know, these are. Um, that huge they were huge ports they still are very important in England's uh, economy and so you've, you've got that little bit of maritime rivalry I've actually yeah, been to Southampton and, and Portsmouth both ports and uh, it, it's interesting because even even there you can just see it in, in the culture and someone's that sometimes you talk to people and you say oh uh, you know what, what port were you just from and they're like oh you know we're well you know we're a lot better than them <laughs> so anyways um, they've been in the Premier League since 2012 and they've kind of gone up and down in their history um, they've got obviously quite an extensive history, but uh, like I said, for the past eight years they've been in the Premier League, so you know they're they're a decent side and and can't really take them lightly. Um, their worst loss was actually to Leicester last October. They lost nine to zero, and that really tells me that they're vulnerable. Yeah, I mean they're they're above us in the table right now. They sit currently they sit at twelfth but they've given up the same number of goals as us and only have scored two more. So they're not, they're not really, you can argue they're not really any better of a team than we are. And I think on paper we're better, but even, you know, if, if you just go off goals for and goals against really not that much difference from where they are, from where we are, but they sit well above us right now. And this is one of the instances where you bring in, you know, sometimes we've had some questionable VAR decisions that have just never gone our way ever. And um, we've also had uh, some some goals that we've just barely missed or, you know, like we had the Brighton game where they came back and, uh, you know, those, this is where the difference is coming Even the Liverpool in. game. Where Even the Liverpool game. That ball doesn't go through Fabianski's legs it, and... And we, we could be talking about handing Liverpool their first loss of the season. No, you're right. And so this is where all those little mistakes add up. And look, they're 12th and we're not. We're in the relegation zone still. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I'd say uh, our only defeat of them in the, in the last five games between the two sides came at the start of this season in August. And uh, one player to really watch out for is Danny Ings. He has, ever since he got, went back, to Southampton he's been on fire he has 15 goals in 27 games and you know there's there's all those we had this with Romelu Lukaku and a lot of other just Harry Kane all these strikers whenever they're in the drought or whether they're doing great they they tend to find a way to score against us and it's, score it's, against it's, West Ham you're right <laughs> always, whether you know Glenn Murray whoever it is the other team striker you know Troy Deeney, they always tend to score against us. And so, and he's one you really got to watch out for. Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned uh, Liverpool and how they just tore up, uh, or they, at least they had the potential to move the ball around and really, you know, attack one side, but if that's not working. They can easily get it to the other side. And they, Man City had 78% possession. Liverpool was not much better uh, in terms of possession for against us. So, uh, 
what do you think of Southampton and what they bring in terms of the attack? They do have Danny Ingus, but they don't have the quality of players that Liverpool or Man City do. Yeah, I, they definitely don't have the quality of players. I don't think they even have the quality of players that we do on, you know, as far as talent goes, but they're a relatively consistent team, you know, despite the 9-0 loss to Leicester. They, they, they do typically have decent organization. They, they play well as a team. They're not just, you know, Danny Ings has scored a lot of goals, but they're not just relying on him. James Ward-Prowse, Nathan Redmond, they have other players that that do well for them and contribute to the team. I think this is the type of team that if we want to push on, we need to go and take it to them. I think we need to take what we saw from the Liverpool game and play with that intensity, and I think we're going to get a good result. When you're playing teams like Man City and you park the bus and you kind of rely on that counterattack, I I do understand that in the U.S. men's national team specifically is, you know, long ball and counterattack. And, and that's their, that's their whole offense really. And we just don't have the skill to keep up with Germany and, uh, you know, and some of these teams like Argentina and Spain where they're a little bit more possession based, but, but against this team, I, I would say you can't, you have to go out and go with the winning mentality, but not only that, you've got to control possession and, I would even go as far as saying you you better win this. We've got to win this game, and we have the potential to, and we are able to. Yeah, this is a, this is a massively important game. I mean, even though we lost our last two against really great teams, the results around us kind of broke our way, and we are still sitting. You know, we're still sitting at in the relegation zone, you know, but you know, tied tied for basically. Well, we're ahead. We're at 18th ahead on goal differential above Watford, but the three points here would go a massive way in securing safety for us. Uh, we the teams right above us are there sitting for the taking, and this is the type of game we need to go out. We need to not. We need to not play for a draw. We need to not play scared. We need to play for the three points. And I hope the players. I hope Moy sets up that way. I hope the players are determined to get that result. I think Liverpool will help us in just playing them, just almost beating them. If we come out and play like we did against Liverpool, we could easily end up above uh, the 10th spot. Now, maybe not this season, but I think if you look at that performance and where it rates on the teams, I think that it deserves at least above a a 10th spot. So, you know, Southampton's not there. This is a team we've got to beat. And it's not just an Ashtonville or Watford. This is a team that is pretty much mid table and, you know, we've got the opportunity to beat them. So this is a huge win for us. Yeah, and I guess that brings question. How would you set up for this game? Obviously, Suchek's injured. That's going to force a change. Um, besides him, would you make any other changes? So that's interesting. Um, I, I would keep pretty much the same formation that we went to at Liverpool. I think you've got to at this point. It worked so well for us. Obviously, Fabianski's in goal. I've got Ngake on, and Cresswell on the wings. So we have playing four back with Diop and Ogbonna in the middle. Uh, like we talked about earlier, those players have earned their spot, uh, at least in this last game. And and I'd like to see what they can do and build on that performance. Um, in the middle, I've got four midfielders with Fornalis as an attacking midfielder, Rice as a defensive midfielder. Notice you'll, uh, You will notice there's no Noble in my team. I've got Snodgrass and Anderson on the right and left, respectively. And then up top, I've got Antonio and Hilaire. I think in Man City, we isolated Antonio too much. I think Hilaire does well with service, but he also does well when there's another um, attacker up there, just like we saw in Onchart Frankfurt. And, you know, Bowen, I, I definitely believe he He's, he's decent, and, and I would not mind him coming on for a stub, but I think Hilaire, even though he hasn't, he scored six goals this season, it, you know, I, I trust him a little bit more right now, and especially when we've got a vulnerable Southampton. Yeah, I think I, I – so you have a little bit of formation switch. I think I'd keep the same team. I wouldn't be mad if Moyes kept the same team and let's say put Fornals in for Suchek. I think that'd be a decent lineup, even though, you know, Mark Noble's not bringing a lot as far as the team played pretty well. But ideally, I'd like to see the fourth, the same four at the back. I'd like to see Rice, Fornals, and I'd actually like to move Snodgrass into the midfield instead of the winger because I don't think he's, he does not necessarily quick enough to play on the wing, but I still like what he brings to the team. I'd put him in midfield. 
And then in, in on the wings, I'd put Anderson. I thought he did okay. He did had some good parts in, in the Liverpool game. I'd start Bowen on the right, and then I'd start Anderson – or sorry, not Anderson, Antonio up top. So that the only changes – the force chains for Suchek and then bringing on Bowen for, for Noble. So that's an interesting point. Bowen, we've seen you know 20 minutes, maybe 30 total if you had stoppage time. Just rough numbers there. Uh, you think he's he's shown enough? And are you trusting Moyes in terms of he's only keeping him in for a sub? Or you really think with such an important I, game you bring him on? I think the information we have on him, what we've seen him play for West Ham is pretty useless information. He 10 minutes against Man City what, 15, maybe 20 against Liverpool, that's not enough to really see what he offers. And that's not enough to see what he offers against, you know, those those are the two top teams in the league. It's hard to judge anyone effectively on maybe 30 total minutes on that. I, I say this would be a good opportunity to play him full game, see get him integrated into a team against a team that's not particularly overskilled and that he, I think he can do a lot of damage towards. So one thing you mentioned was his limited amount of time, but also you mentioned his uh, the teams he's played. But if you look, Ngake's played against the only Liverpool, really. And yeah, so I, Ngake has played really well, but the difference between him was he was started the game and presumably in training leading up to it had been prepared to start the game. So he was give he. Yes, was starting against a very tough team, but he had the he had this the plan going into it and the full ninety minutes to really show what he was doing. I think it's not it's not just that Bowen's played thirty minutes, and it's not just that he's played against the two best teams in the league. I think it's the combination of the two that make what we've seen not really useful. So it's interesting too, and I don't know. I would say I would go as far as to say Moyes is not doing this on purpose, uh, only for this reason, but. Hilaire's been sitting the past few games, and uh, especially, I mean, Liverpool is potent, um, specifically, and it, you've got him on the bench as well. Is it a mental game for, for Moyes right now and keeping Hilaire on and, and kind of forcing him to earn a spot back instead of just, oh, I'm on big money, I'm going to start no matter how I do? Yeah, I don't – it's tough to tell. Some players need – that support, that show of support from the manager to do well, to build their confidence. Some players need to get kicked in the butt. I don't know which of those Hilaire is. He has not been playing to his full potential, but I still don't think we've played to his strengths. I would be just fine if Moy started him this game. I think he could do a lot against Southampton. But the reason I left him on my bench is because our formation was so our formation worked well against Liverpool. So I wouldn't change the formation, that being kind of the four five one. And I wouldn't replace Antonio with him, the with the way Antonio's been playing. And one last point, kind of uh, supporting the attack there is Fornaus, and we saw Fornaus come on and score again uh, for came on for Suchek. Um I Look, we've both been impressed with Fornals. I think that's a great opportunity for him to come in and show what he's got. I do understand. I don't want to say I agree with it completely, but I do understand if we play Noble until Suchek gets back. But darn, as soon as Suchek gets back, we better replace Noble with Suchek and then keep Fornals. I think that formation would be perfect for me. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I think the Suchek injury is definitely unfortunate, but hopefully it it got Fornals out of the purgatory that Moyes put him in and, and you know, forced Moyes' hand. And he took the opportunity and he played really well. So hopefully he scored. He scored, he scored a great, like, you know, he hit off the ground a little bit. He was in the right position. He played well. He played decently defensively. I think, you know, losing a player like Suchek who has that offense and defense, the pressure is going to be not only on whoever replaces him, most likely for Dallas, but also the rest of the midfield and the wingers to really – take the extra notch up on defense to replace what we will lose with Suchek. You know, what's funny is I had a friend that said, I never saw a shot I didn't like, and obviously there's some ugly shots, but look, 
Farnell scored a goal, whether it was a, a messy, you know, world class goal it, or whether it wasn't it was the a... worst goal, but like <laughs> he hit it pretty directly into the ground. <laughs> but at least it it was to the corner, so right. it, 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 it it rolled past the keeper. Uh, but yeah, I think he and one thing, the energy he had when he scored that goal ran straight, oh, straight to the, to the then straight to the fans and what he the I, he said a great quote after the game I, I don't recall it off the top of my head but it was something like i wanted to immediately run to the fans and thank them for all the support that they've given me and i think that speaks that volumes lot, that's the type of player west ham fans want to see the player that fights for the club that res, that respects the fans that when the fans give them support, give the support right back. And hopefully this gives him a great chance. So uh, last, let's wrap up. Let's give our little predictions on uh, what we think the scoreline will be. Chris, what do you think? Southampton, I'm going to go with 2-1. I think our defense, I, I haven't seen them have a perfect game yet. I think we're going to let, you know, have a mistake and, and let one through. Uh, but we've, if we play like we did against Liverpool and we play that lights out defense, we do have a potential for two zero. My official one's going to be two one. We're going to score and we better score. I tell you what. And, uh, and with the offensive talent we've got, it better be two. I, in my opinion. See, uh, I agree. I think Suchek being forced off forces us to play more offensively. I think we get the three, one win. I think we will probably concede a goal, but, Hopefully we can put enough put enough goals in the net to to get the the three points. And I would just like to point out our predictions have been pretty spot on. Uh, we didn't predict exactly Liverpool's correctly, but we did get pretty close in how many goals they would score, and we were spot on with Man City. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that we can uh, just keep refining that and, and getting there. And uh, I, it seems like <laughs> Liverpool was a shock to everyone, I believe. But uh, yeah, yeah, we. We've done our part. Now it's up to Moore's and the boys <laughs> to go out and win it. And with that, that concludes our episode three. Yeah, thanks for listening. Please reach out to us on social media and Green Eggs and West Ham. Listen up for our next episode, and we'll have it up shortly after the game. Yeah, and if you, if you like the podcast, like it, subscribe it, and tell all your friends. Thanks, and come on, you irons.